Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 907 with Greg Provence. That's a really good question. The narrative in my head was, and this was very quite literal. I remember literally kind of hearing a voice and saying, you know, if you don't make a change, you will never achieve the success in life that you're looking for. Because I was also a very ambitious person. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by MyRestaurantCFO.com. MyRestaurantCFO partners with restaurants to simplify financial management by offering full-service bookkeeping, payroll, and CFO services. Beyond MyRestaurantCFO's understanding of all the things that ill and plague a restaurant, MyRestaurantCFO realizes that restaurants are like snowflakes. No two are the same, so they avoid the cookie cutter approach. My restaurant CFO's goal is to be your partner in success by learning all there is to know about your business and putting together a custom solution that gives you only what you need and to be a guiding hand that helps you achieve your goals. Take action and go to myrestaurantcfo.com slash unstoppable and When you use that link, you will get a one-hour consulting session with the founder and partner, Miguel Miranda, also a past guest on the show. Unless you implement more technology in place of labor, you're going to be in trouble. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like, can I make a reservation? Or, Where are you located? Within the pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock in unchanging monthly rates at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and to learn more about pop menus, full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, the owner of GP Hospitality Partners, LLC, Greg Provence. My man, Greg, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm always feeling unstoppable, man. Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. I want to give a quick shout out to Roger Bodwin for calling you out. He called out two authors when I had him on the show. We already had Matt Rolfe on the show, uh, the author of You Can't Do It Alone. Now, like we said, we're talking to Greg, and we're going to be talking deep, going deep into his book, uh, Butts in Seats, uh, 
how to create raving fans who come back again and again. So I'm really excited to dive into your book and to learn more about who you are and how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Greg, what do you have for us? Oh, man. Uh, You know what? I love uh, Maya Angelou. And um, that is people will not often remember what you did, but how you made them feel. I've yeah. kind of paraphrased that, so <laughs> I butchered I it. it. It's people will um, remember how you made or what, what you said to them or right, whatever right. or what you did. Yes. But yeah. Not what you said or what you did, but yes, what, how you made them feel. And honestly, like I feel like the heart of hospitality um, is an emotional thing and it's it's how we make people feel and how we touch them in that life that makes all the difference i love it man i love a great way to get this thing started so where does it make sense to start sharing your story i mean obviously we're here to to talk about your book but i feel like we should get to know you a little bit first so who are you how did you get here wow um okay well where do I begin? I My first job was at Popeye's Chicken at 14 years old. <laughs> I wanted to buy a surfboard that summer. And I had some friends that were working at this place. And I figured, okay, I'm going to go hang out with my friends and, you know, play around. And, um, and so that was my first job. And it was... Man, it was late nights. It was, you know, two o'clock. We were open till 2 a.m. on this on the resort strip in Virginia Beach where I'm from. So, um, you know, I'd get to work at like three, four o'clock in the afternoon. and I'd be there till like four in the morning, frying chicken and cleaning out, you know, greasy vats and all that stuff. Yeah. And it certainly wasn't the often the fun time I imagined when I signed up for it. Um, but what it did was introduce me a to the workforce and just kind of get an idea of what it was to work hard for money. Um, back then I was getting paid $3 and 35 cents an hour. Wow. <laughs> That's it. And, um, and, uh, but, but it was awesome, man. It was, it was like it opened up a whole new world for me, you know, 14 years old, I had a little bit of money and I was playing around with my friends and, and learning, a learning how to, uh, you know, kind of, kind of work in the world. And from there, it just so happened that I just kind of always chose jobs that were either in a restaurant or in some form of hospitality, you know, it was like busing tables or parking cars at a hotel or, you know, um, you know, eventually learning how to bartend and wait tables and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I don't know, I think I always just kind of gravitated toward that type of work um because i just loved the dynamic atmosphere i loved being a part of something i kind of felt was you know bigger than me um and it was just super fun you know i tried my hand at other other vocations you know i I did a little bit of construction for a little while and that didn't work out so well um (laughs) why not Well, you know, it was, it was cool. I learned a cool skill, um, you know, but it just, it just wasn't for me. I mean, I I almost got hurt really bad a couple of times, you know, I just decided, okay, this is not the direction I want to go with my life. So I went back into the restaurant business. Um, And for, for most of my restaurant career, um, as it were, my work life back then, it really, restaurants were just a means to an end. I mean, it was just like, okay, I needed to make quick cash. And, you know, eventually when I got older and I was pursuing other things, like, um, you know, I became a professional actor and musician. And while I was auditioning and those kinds of things, restaurants supported that cause. So it was always just a means to an end. It was an easy way to make a buck. It was flexible. It was fun. 
um, and all of that. Um, you know, and, and I, it's, it's funny because if you had asked me, you know, back then, if becoming a restaurant manager or being, you know, serious about this industry was something I'd be interested in, I would have told you it was, it meant ultimate failure for me. Why <laughs> like, is that? <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that. I think all of us, we, a lot of us are in this industry scraping and scratching and trying to do everything we can to get out of it. Uh, meanwhile, some of us really enjoy it, but it's almost at the same time. It's like, we don't feel like we're going to be taken seriously. Like wh- what's going on there? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think it's a combination of things. I mean, I think a lot of people come into our industry, you know, as I had said, like they're, maybe they're in school, you know, and that they need a job that's flexible, that provides them an opportunity to make some money. Um, and it's always kind of like, well, I'll do this while I'm doing that. Yeah. And I find that a lot of people kind of fall into the industry that way. And then sometimes too, I mean, I don't know. I mean, re- restaurants, it's, it's hard work, man. I mean, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of, you know, mastery that must occur for an experience to go off really well. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it, when you're, when you're juggling all of those things, like maybe you are in school and you're trying to please the boss at your restaurant and try to learn all these recipes and do all these things, you know, it's not necessarily like the first thought to say, oh yeah, I'm going to do that the rest of my life, you know? Um, and I always thought, look, if I became a restaurant manager, I mean, I failed at my other things, you know, and that's just kind of how I positioned it in my mind. But then there came a time where, you know, the entertainment industry was um, quite clearly becoming something that was a little less stable than I thought it could be at one time. Um, and I started sprouting a family and I started thinking, Oh shoot, you know, okay, I got some choices to make here. You know, I got to I got to support and provide for these these kids and you know, entertainment was so hit or miss, so up or down. It's like you'd have a great month or year and then it's feast or famine. Um You had a good then, run. You you had some great features. What what kind of experience did you get in the in, in the entertainment world? Well, I mean, look, the entertainment world is great. I mean, it was when it was good, it was great. You know, being on set and, and, you know, kind of doing that work was like kind of the holy grail for any person that has artistic, you know, tendencies, (laughs) Um, you know, but, but at, you know, as I said, it was, it was, um, it was really feast or famine. Did you You ever get a gig that you're like this, this is it. I made it after this, this is going to be my break. And uh, you know, (laughs) I'm going to be the lead star on, on, movies and sitcoms like was there yeah, every, every time i booked something it felt like that <laughs> you know every time i every time i booked something on network tv or if, every time like i i remember one time so i did this i did this movie for showtime and it was uh it was the first time i was like i was on the box in blockbuster you know and it was like <laughs> it was the worst piece of crap movie ever i'm um, sorry if the producer sees us i'm sorry you didn't see um, the movie. <laughs> but um but it was you know but at the time at the time I thought, you know, okay, you know what, this is, this is it. I've made it, you know? And then it, it turned out, yeah, no, that wasn't the case. Um, but that's kind of how it is in Hollywood, right? You always kind of think you're right there, you're right at the pinnacle. And it's like, you know, it's, it, but then it's fleeting, you know, then the next, the next day you're nobody again, you know? <laughs> so when did the shift start to happen from going to like, just pursuing this career in Hollywood to, you know, maybe, uh, this thing I've been doing for the most of my life, something that I enjoy doing isn't so bad. Maybe it is a career. Maybe I can lean into this. When did that start to happen for you? 
Yeah, that started that started to happen. Um, I had moved to Los Angeles um, with my wife and my cat, and um, you know, I was doing the acting thing. And um, you know, a couple of turns of events happened. One, um, I decided to uh, become a sober member of society, so that was kind of a big life change for me. Congratulations! And then, thank you. Yeah, uh, just celebrated um, uh, twenty years uh, a little huge. while ago, and. Um, and then also, you know, as I said, my, my, I was sprouting a family. And so I really started getting introspective about, okay, what do I want to do with my life here? Really? You know, like I had to, I had to really kind of think about this. And the only skill that I had developed along the way up to that point was restaurants. You know, I mean, I'd worked pretty much every position there was. Um, I had slowly started tipping my foot into management, even though I'd, for years I'd pushed management away and said, no, no, I want the flexibility. I just want to wait tables, I want to bartend. Um, and there was a, there was definitely a defining moment where I, I really kind of sat down with my wife and I made some, a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to take a management position at this restaurant for a salary. <laughs> and, uh, and at that point, I honestly, I felt pretty empowered because it wasn't a decision of like, okay, I've, I've been defeated. Now I'm just going to go slink away to this, resign myself to this, you know, this thing. Um, I had said, you know what? No, this is, I was working at a really cool place in LA for a, a, a celebrity chef and it was, it was super fun. There was a lot of celebrities coming in and dining with us and that type of thing. So it was kind of like living the little pseudo rock star, <laughs> rock star life in that way. And simultaneously, I decided to start a, uh, a company, which was a, a cocktail design company, because um, I was actually working for a lot of um, catering operations who were doing, um, you know, a lot of like, you know, parties in Beverly Hills. We were doing the Oscars and, you know, kind of a lot of high profile stuff. And I noticed that the bars, uh, the food was getting all the attention and the bars were just kind of like, yeah, you know, what year and- was this? This was like 2002. You're like, uh, you know, a solid 18 years earlier than that. I think there's a huge wave in cocktail, like focus on cocktails right now across the country. Well, yeah. And so I went in New York when I, when I had come from New York, cocktail craft cocktails were just starting to kind of poke their head out. Mm -hmm. There were some really great like cocktail chefs out there doing some really chef driven stuff. And so I took note of that. And in, when I landed in LA, it wasn't, it just didn't exist. It didn't, it wasn't happening yet. So I was like, well, wait a minute. So I started doing these like really kind of fun, funky, you know, chef driven type of cocktails and instantly it was noticed. And so, you know, I was able to parlay that into, you know, doing, you know, some great parties for some really cool people and had a lot of fun with it, you know? Yeah. So real quick, um, I'm curious, whenever I hear this, I kind of like to go deeper because I feel like, you're not alone in, in being somebody who might have had substance abuse issues at one point when it comes to working in the restaurant industry. There's a lot of people out there, and I feel like um, it's good to get the stories of how, why you chose to, to turn around and how you did that to kind of inspire people who might be in that same spot. So where were you in your life where you made this decision to get sober? What was going on? Why, why did you make this decision? So that's a great question. Um, the I made the decision purely and solely because I had, uh, I was at a, a true bottom, as they say, right? Make um, that picture of what bottom looked like for you. Well, it's different for everybody, right? Most people will tell you it's just when you stop digging, you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah. 
you know, for me, what it looked like was, um, you know, I, I just arrived in Los Angeles. I was getting a little bit of success with some, you know, booking some, some TV gigs and that type of thing. But my, my personal life and everything was just unraveling very quickly. Um, you know, I was still trying to um, support the same type of lifestyle I had, um, you know, been doing in New York, which was just what was drinking and, yeah. and partying every day. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if, if there was, you know, if there was alcohol around, I was drinking it. And if there was any kind of substance, I was using it. And it was pretty much at that point, almost 24 seven. Um, and, you know, I got to a place in my relationships where I was, you know, I, I couldn't stay employed. Um, my wife was certainly uh, planning to leave. Um, and I had burned just about every bridge that I could, I could, you know, burn. And I was faced with this reality of, okay, here I am in Los Angeles. And, you know, I either make a change or I keep going down this road and it's not going to end up well, Mm. you know, I'm going to end up being alone. Um, definitely bankrupt, possibly homeless. Um, I mean, all of those things were looming, Um, it was, I was just kind of teetering on that edge. And I've considered myself one of the lucky ones because I actually recognized those things as they were um, happening. I I definitely saw the signs well before, but wasn't willing to address them. What were those signs? uh, Well, you know, a getting fired from jobs. That was one big sign. Why were you getting fired? Um, Did they ever give you the reason? Like, was it, were you you missing shifts? Were you rolling in intoxicated or messed up? All those things. Yeah. All those things, man. I mean, uh, you know, all those things that I would just, pass off as being very normal for me. You know, other people would look at me like, dude, <laughs> this guy, really? Like, <laughs> I'm making you, you know? vulnerable right now. And I appreciate it. You know? No, no, it's, it's perfectly fine. I mean, it's, um, it's something I'll openly share about because, you know, there, you're right. There's, there are a lot of people that go through this and, you know, the, the, the warning signs are often many and frequent before we are, for I am I'm ready to recognize them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, other people in our life oftentimes can see them before we do. Um, and and that was definitely the case for me. Um, but I was also really high functioning too. I was really good at like, you know, being me. I wasn't like a mean or, you know, violent guy when I was drinking or anything like that. I was actually kind of fun to yeah, be around. <laughs> so when you made this choice, when you made this decision, what was the narrative in your head and how did you execute that's a really good question. The narrative in my head was, and this was very quite literal. I remember literally kind of hearing a voice in, and it was on this side actually <laughs> saying, you know, if you don't make a change, you will never achieve the success in life that you're looking for. Cause I was also a very ambitious person. What was the success you were looking for? Well, at that time it was, you know, being in film and television as a, as a regular working actor um, and, and, or some kind of, um, you know, financial or, you know, um, career stability really, you know, because everything up to that point was very uncertain and very kind of hit or miss. Yeah. When you made this choice to, to give out substance, uh, what, how did your life start changing immediately? So when I made the change, um, you know, and it was a very, it, it was a very decisive moment. Um, you know, I had first to admit where I was at um, openly and then be willing to accept the help that was there for me. 
Um, and that help came in the form of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, started going to, to meetings and um, got a sponsor and started doing all of those things that the program yeah. um, offers. I'm tempted to pull back layers in it, but I know that it's part of the program not to really talk about it. So. Well, I mean, it's, it's anonymity is part of it. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, there are, there are 12 steps to the program and anybody can look that up if they're interested and they want to see what those exact steps are, but it's really about, um, it's really about, you know, becoming a part of, of, of a different type of solution. Cause my, my problem wasn't drugs and alcohol. It was my solution. <laughs> well, it's routine. You know, it's habit based is what yeah. a big part of what I've learned about why it works is you're rep- like a lot of the reason why we get addicted to these, these substances is because we're going around those people. It's a part of our routine. It's, it's a part of what we do. And we have to replace those routines with new things and new people who are all trying. Cause like what will, what will trigger a habit is people and places. So if you have a routine of going to hang out with certain people and going to certain places, it's going to trigger the, the bad habit. So you have to replace those, those routines and those habits with other people who are trying to be away from that as well. And I think the accountability is definitely a part of it too. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah no, you, you nailed that for sure. And so becoming, becoming a part of a, of a different group of people that can show me through their example, how living a sober life can actually be fun and gratifying and, and it, and, optimal, you know, in so many ways when you're talking about success or just, you know, enjoying life in general, uh, was key for sure. So yeah, I had to immerse myself in that world and I did. Um, and, uh, and things began to change very, very quickly, very quickly. Beautiful. So you, you had this idea to start your, uh, your, your cocktail design company where you're really putting the focus and the energy on the cocktail. What goes on with that? Yeah, so it was interesting. Um, you know, as I had said, I, I was I was not seeing this present in LA at the time, and I saw an opportunity to kind of bring that. And um, it was, you know, for me, it, it served to be a very creative outlet. Um, the funny thing is, it's like you know, I just got sober, and now I'm <laughs> creating. Well, I was going to ask, was that hard? Was that difficult? <laughs> to like, not, were you? I used to say I was the Ray Charles of the bartending world, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, I was like, I've, I've tasted all this stuff a million times. I know what it's, I know what's yeah, going on. Yeah. Uh, uh, but no, it was really about the art form and about, you know, thinking differently and, and bringing up, a, a, you know, kind of a different artful mindset to an industry or to a piece of the industry that was um, in that time kind of lacking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, looking at L.A., everybody's always looking for the cool, hot new thing, you know, so it took off pretty quickly. Yeah. So, um, so we've been kind of ground level uh, as far as your conversation. you kind of taking us along this, this journey. Zoom up to 30,000 feet real quick. And what was what's the past 20 years been like since starting this cocktail company? Like what are the, the stops along the way without getting into any detail? Yeah. So um, I actually, so I, I went away from the cocktail company at one point um, because I, I moved back to the East Coast um, in an effort to you know, try out uh, getting my kids closer to family. Um, and then that turned into like a nine-month U-turn. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be there. I knew it, I knew I needed to be back in the West. So um, I came back to the West Coast. And I, so I kind of bounced around a little bit, I opened a couple of restaurants in between with some people. Um, and then ended up in, um, San Diego, actually, um, I was looking to go back to LA, but I ended up in San Diego. And when I ended up in San Diego, um, I got a job at, um, at this place that, 
uh, actually quickly closed down. And then I was looking for work, and that's when I found um, the Cone Restaurant Group, which is a very prominent restaurant group here in Southern California, 30-something restaurants under their belt, all different concepts, family-owned. And it was at that point I decided, okay, I really, really, really need to make a push to um, get really serious about uh, this career. Timestamp this for me. Uh, that was, I want to say... Probably 2012, like... Oh, eight maybe. Okay. So yeah. what did that pivot 12, look like 12 years, years ago. ago? Yeah. So you had to get like, what was it about the Kong group that made you say, I got to, what, what did they change in you? What, how did they influence you to have this internal dialogue of it's time to get serious? Well, at first, at first it was just a job, right? Like I just needed to get a job. <laughs> so I got the job, but I also knew that I didn't want to just get a job. I wanted to be with the best group that I could find. Um, and they were clearly head and shoulders above the rest at that time and still are, I will argue. Um, so I got the job and here's the thing. I, I ended up leaving the job after a few months. What was the job exactly? It was a, it was a floor management position. Um, I got a floor management position at one of their coastal restaurants in Oceanside. And, um, I ended up leaving the job simply because at the time I was looking for a bigger role in the company. I was looking for like AGM GM and I ended up getting an opportunity in LA um, to work at saddle ranch on the sunset strip. And they were paying a bunch of money. And I was like, okay, guys, I'm, I've got to go do this gig. I'm really sorry. And it was purely financially driven, um, but they understood they were very, very much in my corner. We had a great relationship up to that point. And so I did that. I went to Los Angeles and I lived up there for nine months Um sleeping on a buddy's floor and came home on my days off and just worked my butt off just to get my family in a financially stable position. Um, and after that, um, I got a call from the cone group and they said, Hey, we're opening this restaurant in Escondido. It's on top of a Lexus dealership. We want you to be the GM <laughs> and you want to look at this. And I'm like, wait, what Lexus dealership, what's going on? And um, so I came down and I uh, said, get me home. Let's do this. And I met with Chef Deborah Scott, who is a partner in the Cone Group, who's just an amazing soul and beautiful artist and a, a great chef. And we hit it off because we're both from the same hometown. Um, and they uh, they hired me on as the yeah. general manager for for opening this amazing, huge project. And I spent eight years with them um, developing my skills as a leader in the industry. What did they and, do differently? How did they transform you as a professional? Yeah. So this is, so this is where, you know, I, I owe a lot of my career to this experience. Um, and, and I, I sum it up as here's a group who really understands the art of hospitality and takes it very seriously. Um, they're, they're one of their mantras is we are obsessed with hospitality. Um, and, it's it rings true at all of their locations and in everything that they do. And so that's the biggest thing that I learned from being um, associated with them has been really understanding how to take hospitality and implement it on a daily basis and make it part of your culture and make it part of what, just how we do things around here. And that is the most powerful way in my opinion to build a business in any industry really um is to really understand how to treat people well 
how to give an amazing experience, how to put guests truly first. Um, and, and, and then our, our team members being our best guests, in my opinion, um, and really, really, really honing in on that um, as, a, as a tool to, to build relationships within the community and thusly building the business. Yeah, I think this is a great time to, think, to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back because we're starting to get into the details of the book. I have some questions. Some of the, some of the book is starting to come out. So we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by MyRestaurantCFO.com. MyRestaurantCFO exists because their experience over the years has revealed all the frustrations, bottlenecks, and pain points restaurant owners experience when managing their establishment. Beyond their understanding of all the ills that plague the restaurant industry, MyRestaurantCFO realizes that restaurants are like snowflakes. No two are the same, so they avoid the cookie-cutter approach. MyRestaurantCFO CFO's goal is to be your partner in success by learning all there is to know about your business and putting together a custom solution that gives you only what you need and to be the guiding hand that helps you achieve your goals. My Restaurant CFO partners with restaurants to simplify financial management by offering full service bookkeeping, payroll, and CFO services. Spending more on a CFO will actually improve your profitability and help you achieve a better work-life balance. With my restaurant CFO, you'll be able to focus your time on positive customer experiences, always know how your money is working for you and where you can save, no learning curve, and no more late nights trying to make sense of your financial ecosystem. When you partner with my restaurant CFO, they'll provide accurate weekly and monthly reporting, trend analysis for easy forecasting, improved control over vendor costs, complete financial analysis, and recommendations sourced from over 30 years of operational experience and 10 years of consulting experience on how to save more money. If you're ready to start making the right decisions for the growth of your business, your call to action is to go to myrestaurantcfo.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you will get a one-hour consulting session with the founder and partner of MyRestaurantCFO.com, Miguel Miranda, also a past guest on the show. That's MyRestaurantCFO.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And you just started talking about how you, you kind of committed to the industry in a whole new way. You wanted to surround yourself with the best. You went to the Kong group. Uh, you were there for a little bit. You went out to LA. They invited you back to be a GM and you spent the next eight years of your life there where you really learned what true hospitality was. And this is kind of a great segue into your book, Butts and Seats, because you opened the book with talking about what's the difference between service and hospitality. So what is great hospitality? What does it look like to be obsessed with hospitality? Yeah. So for me, um, you know, I think hospitality, it's, it's, it's funny because we're in the hospitality business, right? Like you hear that word a lot. Oh, it's hospitality. I work in hospitality. Um, you know, and it's that word kind of defines what we do in some ways, but I think oftentimes it's confused with service. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, the way I see it anyway is service is a little more technical. Um, it's getting, a plate from one point to another. It's getting hot food out on time. It's getting tickets in. It's getting, um, you know, dessert orders taken. It's all the steps of service that we need to do, especially if you're thinking in fine dining, you know, you think, oh, there's, you know, all these steps of service or there's 20 yeah. something steps of wine service and all of these things technical to me. 
Um, and those things are important. Don't get me wrong. Like the, if, if you're a diner and you're looking for that experience to, to hit on all those points um, and do it with finesse, um, it can be very gratifying experience from the person, you know, um, receiving it. So they're, they're necessary. Um, but to me, hospitality is the people factor. It's emotional. It's, um, it's, it's that, that personal heartfelt connection that happens and that only happens person to person, right? It only happens when we are in a mindset of wanting to be giving of ourselves and really exchanging energy that is felt in the heart. Yeah. If, if look, that makes sense. I love it. And if you look at the synonyms of hospitality, it's friendliness, it's welcoming, it's uh, helpfulness, it's kindness, it's warmth, it's geniality, it's sociability, it's conviviality. Wow. I can always struggle with this word conviviality <laughs> uh, in all these things that identify just being like generous, warm. I mean, and that's what I think of hospitality. And how do you do that consistently though? How do you, how do you get to the point where you, you show it because I feel like you can burn out from being hospitable all the time, or you you have a goal to be hospitable, but over time it, it fades. How do you keep? Oh, it high? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Like I, nobody can be on all the time. You know, like it's it's you know we all have our it's yin and yang, right? We all have those moments where we just need to kind of oof, just kind of let down and let go, or or maybe we're just not in a good space that day. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know. Being a, being a, you know, someone who's running a floor of a restaurant, like you can't just be on all the time and that's okay. That's human, but that doesn't mean we still can't connect with people even on that level. You know what I mean? I've learned in my life through sobriety and through other items, through other ways of, and means to, to, to be authentic these days. If somebody says, Hey, how's your day going? And I'm not having such a great day instead of being like, yeah, great. You know, usually I'm, I'm more like, you know what? having kind of a tough day, but I'm working through it. Yeah. And that to me is more authentic. And that can be a connection point with somebody, you know? So it doesn't have to always be like, woohoo, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just about connecting with people where they're at and, and being authentic and being genuine and being real. Yeah. I love that. So where, before we kind of start really diving into why you wrote your book and, and what, what, you know, the story of the book, you said you were with the con group for about eight years. Uh, so that brings us to like 2016, 2017, 2018 ish. What were, when you left the con group, what happened? What were you, what, what was your, were you trying to get hired? Were you trying to do your own thing? Why did you leave? Yeah. So I, when I left, um, I had, so I had some specific goals set for myself. Um, when I signed on to that job, I thought, okay, it's going to be five, six years. I'm going to put in here. Cause that'll be enough time for me to really absorb as much as I can. Um, but I also am a bit of an, a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> and so I've always had little side things going on, whether it be just keeping a blog or whether it just be, you know, other projects or helping others on theirs. And so um, I started doing a bit of consulting on the side, um, which a lot of people do. And um, I started understanding that um, there's a lot of power in what I had the, the, un, the knowledge and experience that I had developed over the years, there were a lot of people that really needed that understanding of certain things. Um, and for me, I focus heavily on operations and systems and building businesses to scale. And so I helped a, a, helped a, a small company 
become bigger. Um, and uh, it, it worked out great. And, you know, I just felt like, okay, well, maybe that's the direction I need to go. Cause I knew I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to just go open a restaurant. That wasn't my, my goal. Um, because, you know, there is a lot of risk involved and there's a lot of, you know, things that need to go right for that to work. And having a young family, you know, it just didn't seem like the, the way the route I wanted to go, but I do know, did know I wanted to help people. And so I figured if I can consult for them and help them build their businesses, then maybe I could create a little, a niche for myself. And so that's the direction I went. What was the niche you were trying to create for yourself? Uh, you know, it's, it's, basically what I'm doing now with GP hospitality partners, it's, it's really helping. Um, and I love helping early stage restaurant owners um, specifically um, help them to position themselves for scale, um, become a little more profitable or a lot more profitable um, and help owners of those types of businesses. They're often owners, operators, help them to create more free time. Um, by putting in the right systems and getting the right people in place so that they can go work on the uh, more high level aspects of their business. Was this little company that you helped grow Everbowl? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Everbowl. Um, so when so, did you join them? So, uh, so Jeff Fenster, the founder past guest um, of restaurant unstoppable, by the way, past guest yeah. of restaurant unstoppable. Did That's right. That episode? Um, he's, uh, so he's a, a friend and neighbor and, um, he would come to my restaurant a lot. And one day he walked in and he was like, Hey, I opened a restaurant. <laughs> and I was like, you what? <laughs> and he said, yeah. And he said, uh, I, I need some help. And I said, <laughs> well, uh, let me come down and check it out. So the first ever bowl ever was over in, um, Poway, just down the street. And I came down, I toured around the spot and, and I was pretty impressed, I have to say, like with what Jeff was doing. And I'd always known Jeff to be a very driven and smart guy. Oh, yeah. Um, but what he didn't have at the time was a lot of knowledge around the restaurant industry. And so we teamed up early on and um, I helped him uh, to uh, build some systems. Um, he was doing a hub and spoke model where he produced a lot of his stuff in one uh, space and would ship it out to all of his own stores. And so we created some inventory processes and some other backend things that would help him scale. Um, he quickly got to 30 corporate stores um, within a year or two. And now um, they are uh, strictly a franchise model and they've got 200 and something franchises um, sold nationwide. They're still going. Um, and I was very, very fortunate to have been a small part in um in helping him get that off the ground. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it's so that, that actually, that experience gave me confidence yeah. into anybody understanding who, what I could possibly do for other people. Yeah. And if anybody wants to listen to Jeff's story, he was episode 722, head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash seven, two, two. It's a really great episode. I, uh, I, re I remember being really impressed by him, especially, uh, we, he was the first person to bring the idea of vertical integration to the conversation. Did you help influence that? You know, I can't take credit for that. No, um, <laughs> he, he honestly, Jeff, Jeff's mind just, he, the, the, I gotta say like one of the things that I always felt was um, an actual benefit for Jeff was that he didn't know a lot about the restaurant industry. Why is it a benefit? He, Cause I I've seen people from all walks of life come into the restaurant industry with zero experience and they kill it. Why do you think that is? Because they're not necessarily confined to the traditional um, ways of doing things like a lot of what Jeff has done in Everbowl has completely upend and innovate 
certain things about the industry. Yeah, so a little more about and, Jeff is he was, he was an entrepreneur before Everbull. He, he was successful before ever opening. He saw the yes. world through a modern, a present day lens, an entrepreneurial lens through the present day. And he took what he knew and he, he, he it's a whole different business model. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember sitting in meetings with him early on. He'd be like, well, why can't we just do it this way? I'm like, well, you can. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something He's to like, be said about okay. that. You know, there's you know? like there's definitely an issue with our industry where we're I feel like for the past like one hundred years we've kind of just been rinse, repeat, do what the restaurant that I work for did and just copy their model, copy their model, copy their model. And we just right. and it's a broken model. It doesn't I don't think it works in today's in today's world. I mean it works, but if you're if you if you're cool with settling for like you know five percent profit margins, you know yeah. So so you're right. So there are certain things I will argue that are tried and true systematically that tend to be best practices that you you may want to um, utilize, and especially when it comes to things like compliance and stuff like that, yeah. you definitely need those those things in place. Um, but that said, yeah, I think it's always helpful for any entrepreneur to be able to look at whatever industry there is and see, okay, how could I do this differently, more efficiently? Um, you know, let's think outside of the box. And, and that's what entrepreneurs do, right? They try different things and half of them fail or more than half of them fail. But that one thing that works ends up being a disruptor, you yeah. know, so how or an innovation you, that's, you know. How did yeah. you specifically help? What, what, power what what did you bring jeff that he was in desperate need of at this time well at that time things were pretty early on so i think it was just a number one a perspective um to bounce ideas from an operations standpoint um especially when it came to things like okay how do we set up you know this particular system you know whether it be a financial you know pnl or whether it be you know um an inventory system or something like that let's let's look at how how you know because jeff is always like let me he's always solving problems right and that's again what entrepreneurs do um okay how do we solve this problem yeah. is there something we can implement that's going to solve this problem and and make it better yeah you know so ironically i think uh this is a good time to also kind of go back to the book butts in seats because you you Early on in the book, you bring up there are certain things that are tried and true. Uh, there are certain systems that every restaurant needs. Uh, what were those systems that he needed to work on that every restaurant, no matter what, are just like, these are the, the tried and true systems that no matter who you are, you need these things. What were those basics that you mentioned in the book? Yeah, I mean, look, well, let's start with inventory. You know, it's amazing to me how many restaurants I walk into as a potential, um, you know, or visiting a potential client and they're not taking inventory in the restaurant. I mean, it's it's staggering to me how, how few people actually do that yeah. <laughs> simple thing, right? Um, but it's okay. It's not, it's not a knock on them. It's just that, you know, restaurant tours are busy. You know, there's so many things to do in a day. And it's like, okay, am I going to go take inventory right now? Or am I going to get this person that's standing in front of me, the food they, they're asking for, you know, what's going to take priority here. Yeah. So it's a lot of those little backend systems that, you know, need to come into play, um, you know, effective reporting, you know, looking at your numbers and understanding how to read your PL and, and inform decisions moving forward is very crucial. Yet very few restaurant owners, uh, especially early stage are really doing this on a regular basis. Um, you know, so there, there's, there's, you know, 
there's there's many systems of training you know how, how are you going to build your culture yeah you know that's another thing it's like okay training often falls by the wayside in lieu of let's just get it out and we'll deal with that later yeah, you in, know in but the, in the book you talk about the essential ingredients for success the first one you're talking about was the inventory how that's a big that's the first essential system for success the other one you mentioned is costing recipe costing and the last one you mentioned is labor costing those are your essentially your prime cost right there so yeah. basically you're, what you're saying is you got to have systems around your prime cost your most expensive cost you got to lock those in you do yes 100% uh, any other tips around uh costing or or labor as far before moving on to like the next the next thing that you helped jeff with yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of there's a, a a lot of tips around that. I mean, costing in general. I mean, things like cross utilizing things on your menu. I mean, these days efficiency is key. You know, with the way the costs are going up for almost everything, um, you know, fuel costs are buried now in your food costs because food's got to get from point A to point B. Um, waste and spoilage is more important to manage than ever. Um, you know, there if if we're not keeping an eye on what those items are. Um, and, and how we're going to affect those costs. We're, we're leaving money on the table for sure. Um, efficiency and labor, you know, cross, cross training people in different departments is huge. You know, if I have to rely on four different skill sets for four different departments and none of those skill sets could fill in in a pinch in the other department, when somebody calls out, now I've got a problem. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you actually remind me of a restaurant group that's based in New Hampshire. It's not a group. I, mean, I think they have owned two or three restaurants. Uh, they might have sold one recently, but uh, they're definitely operating. Um, oh, of course, I can't think of it now. It's in Newfields, but they, they train Newfields, New Hampshire. They train everybody who gets employed how to do every job in the house. Uh, so you, if you get hired, you're working shifts in the kitchen and you're working on the floor in front of house. And I think that is amazing. Um, for the reasons you're listing out, but also it helps with the, 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 the uh, inequity between back of house and front of house employees with pay, you know, you're solving yeah. that problem by doing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a whole other topic in and of itself, you yeah. know, but, but you're right. I mean, I, I know you mentioned Roger Bodwin earlier. I mean, he preaches this, you know, cross cross training is, is a huge part of his program. And I, I sincerely believe in that, Yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's to me, the way to profitability these days, um, especially more than ever really is efficiency and the more and more efficient and the more um, more well-rounded those, uh, you know, those experiences can be. And it translates into a good guest experience too. So, you know, if you've got a busser that doesn't necessarily know how to do a particular aspect that a guest needs, that could be a problem, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, uh, so, I mean, a, a couple calls to action here because I, I agree with you 100% that these are such important things. I did collaborate with Rudy Mick on an inventory course where he takes his system uh, i think it's daily almost daily to, or, or maybe it's weekly counting uh the a lot of things you talk about in the book with having two people one person counting one person logging and that whole process uh, of his inventory management uh so if you guys feel like you could improve in that vertical definitely check out that course i also had david scott peters on the show and we did a whole workshop a uh, lecture on menu engineering that was episode 430 seven if you want to check that out if you guys feel like you could be improving in these verticals anything you else you want to add before kind of just moving on to why you decided to, to write this book yeah i mean i think the overall arching theme was one it was well there's there's two reasons one it was for me to 
kind of chunk down some very important things that I think every restaurateur can benefit from, whether or not they're a veteran and it's just a reminder and kind of a touch base and, you know, refresher, or if it's someone who's just starting out um, who really needs to understand some of these basic principles. And it was a way to um, really kind of express the importance of culture and hospitality as a means for marketing and growing a business. I just think that, you know, even though we are in the hospitality space, quote unquote, um, sometimes that gets lost. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that I've noticed and to kind of reinforce what you're saying is that in this world that we live in with so much emphasis on marketing and social media marketing and what we can do outside of our business to promote our business, I, I feel like it's a, it almost serves as a big distraction sometimes. And I'm not going to argue that social media isn't powerful. It is very powerful, but at what cost? Why, what are we driving traffic to? You know what I'm saying? Like we put so much work out there to drive, to make this noise, to, to project this image of who we are and what we do. And we're so busy making that noise, telling people who we are and what we do and making a big scene around it that when they get to our restaurant, because we, we painted this picture, we painted this picture, the picture doesn't match what we're saying when they actually get there. You know, um, do you see that happening? Is it just me? Do I just imagine this? No, no, this is, this is a, uh, you know, and even in talking to many, many restaurant owners, one of the biggest concerns is well, what's my ROI if I'm putting all this stuff out in the universe, right? How do you quantify how, how this is working for me, you know, um, when it comes to social media, but you're right. It's, it's, you know, I can, I can spend all the money in the world getting a message out there. This is, this is my brand. This is who we are. This is where we located, you know, this is our special of the week or whatever. Um, if they land in the business and don't have a great experience, it's all wasted. It's yeah. wasted. Yeah. Um, and then there's other opportunities too. I think when you're talking about just, just in social media marketing or marketing in general, um, there's a lot of opportunities for people when they're in the house to be able to um, kind of market to them in a way or bring them into your fold and make them kind of a part of what you've got going on there. And it all goes right back to making that personal connection to do that. Yeah. Uh, so this wasn't your first book, was it? Because you have a, uh, is it an ebook that's out there, the Profitability Roadmap? Yeah, that's more of like a kind of a, uh, I don't know if it's a book, but more of a booklet. Yeah, um, like an ebook. But yeah, I was just trying to, um, I was really trying to just kind of put together some key points of, you know, for restaurant owners to dive into that allow them to really just kind of find instant profit. If they implement these seven steps, instantly you'll, you'll see it in effect on your bottom line. So that's more of a, a operations book than more overarching, uh, yeah, specifically like strictly operational. Okay. Yes. I was just curious. I didn't want to skip over that. So, yeah. um so back to butts and seats. Uh What are if we were to talk about three or four things for the rest of today's conversation relative to this book that you wrote? What are the three most important things that you think you need to bring to today's conversation? Oh, wow. Um well, number 1, um you know, and if if I'm just kind of going off the book itself, um Orienting around the mission, I think, is a big piece of the puzzle in terms of creating a culture um, of hospitality. Um, you know, I think another thing is, um, you know, centered around guest recovery, actually, really like 
Um, that's another place I think people oftentimes overlook is the idea of like somebody did have a not so great experience. How do we recover that person and bring them to be someone um, that could become actually a raising raving fan? Um, and then, you know, really just, you know, promotions that actually drive business. Um, again, we're talking about social media and that kind of stuff. And there's, there's definitely a place for that. I believe in the power of utilizing social channels for marketing, um, you know, but, but really focusing on things that are driving drivers and that create experiences that people can resonate with Got it. Um, is how I like to focus on, on promotional items. Got it. So let's take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and they'll be right back to start diving into these three topics you brought to us. It's no secret that restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years, which means restaurant owners and staff have been working harder than ever. Trying to keep up with the expectations of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like, can I make a reservation? Or, where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone call 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in unchanging monthly rates at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and to learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. 
All right, we're back, and I, and I want to unpackage these. I mean, there were so many different things we could have talked about today, uh, pulling things out of your book, but I knew we weren't going to be able to get to, to all of them. So let's let's go over these three that you brought to us, Ori- orientating around the mission, guest recovery, and promotions that actually drive, uh, was it profitability that you said? I can't remember, drive. Uh, that that um, actually drive um, sales. Sales, yeah. got it. So, yeah, top line sales. Why was orientating around a mission the, the first thing you brought to us? You know, so I've, I've always kind of been fascinated. I am very fascinated with um, mission statements in general. Um, And the reason is, is that there's so many times I've gone into business, any business, and you can like see the mission statement on the wall, (laughs) you know, or, you know, you go to a staff training and they talk about a mission statement. And my question is, well, are, are they actually fulfilling on that mission? I'll give you an example. I went to um, I went to a, a chiropractor one time. And they got the mission statement on the wall, and it's this beautiful saying about how their mission is to educate all of their um, clients on you know um, health and wellness, and it's it's really beautifully written and beautifully presented. I was like, wow, that's cool. And so that's what I think I'm going to get. And I visit for like three, four, five visits, and I think to myself. That wasn't anything like the experience I got was nothing like what that mission said. Like I was excited to get what I saw on the wall and it didn't happen, you know? And I think that happens very often, you know, like when, when a, when a, a person is putting together a business and, you know, they, they, they've thought very hard about what do I want to achieve here? What do I want to put out there in the world and how, what kind of mark do I want to leave? And maybe they've written a beautiful mission statement. This is our goal. This is our mission. But then the experience doesn't match up. Well, why is that? That's a question for me, you know, and where are we missing? Well, for me, it starts with, you know, all the team members that are at play understanding, A, what the mission is, right? Like, that's huge. I can guarantee you that if I walk into your restaurant and I ask your team members what the mission is of the business, they're not going to tell me. They don't know. They have no idea. They're here to make a buck, right? And maybe on some level that's okay. But to me, for me and my restaurants, like I want every team member to know what our mission is. And I want it to be centered around a guest experience, not about making money, not about getting food from point A to point B. How am I going to make this guest feel by the time they leave? How am I going to get this guest to say before they leave here, I can't wait to come back to this place. And so for me, one of the things that I, I really work with you know, clients on and, and do in workshops and stuff is define what the mission is. Is your mission guest-centric? Is it something that is going to evoke an emotion? Is it something that's going to be heartfelt and connective? And if so, great. Now, how do we train our teams to fulfill on that mission every day, specifically, right? What are, they, what are we going to implement in our training to make sure that they they get this. So, in, in um, you know, one of the one of the greatest examples of, I've seen of this is um, one of the restaurants I'm a, a, a partner in. Is you know we're really big on getting a guest name when they come in, and the reason for that is we want to be able to say that name several times during their experience. Okay, so the way it's it's a quick service restaurant. They come in, they order at the front. 
Um, they see the menus, they order, they do boom, boom. We get their name. We have a little polite discussion and the guests, the servers are trained to make some kind of com- connective conversation with them. Oh, I like your, I like your blouse or, Hey, how's your day been? Or where are you coming from? Whatever. First time here, something like that. We connected and we've got their name. Then they go down the line and they go to pay at another place. And that's where they're going to get their drinks. And then the, 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 this team member at that station is, is um, tasked with saying, Oh, hey, is this for Frank? Oh, yeah. Hey, Frank, I'm Adam, <laughs> right? Now you've become friends with this person, right? And so then somewhere during the experience, if the busser's out there grabbing a plate or if somebody's checking on the table after they've sat down, we can reference, oh, hey, Adam, or hey, Frank, how's it going? How's your meal today? Now I've said their name the third time. And I can't tell you how many guests have said to us, Holy shit. <laughs> so I yeah. hope I can say that. <laughs> you, you, how did you know? You remembered my name? Like it's, it's mind blowing. Yeah. What's and the difference? A, the, sorry. Keep going. Keep going. No, it's just, it's a small, small thing. It's a very easy thing to train people. Right. And, and, but, but it's so, so impactful. Yeah. What's, right what's now. What's better? What's better being, Hey, number 102, 102, 102, or yeah. Hey, Frank, like people, I can't remember where I heard this quote, but people's favorite word is their own name. Thank you, yeah. thank you, absolutely, absolutely. And it's very, very, have, very I, impactful. I definitely spoke over to you. I, that's one of the hard things about doing these things remotely. What, what did you? Were you not able to get a thought out? I don't want to hold you. No, back. no, 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 not at all. It was, um, it was, uh, you know. But you're, you're to your to your point. You're absolutely right that it's such an impactful small thing to do. Right. Yeah. You know, and how does that, how does that, um, you know, how does, how does tie that the tie mission? to the mission? Yeah. You know, so, 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 so the mission is to our mission at that restaurant is to make every guest irregular and make every dish with love. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that need to happen. If you're yeah. doing those two things during your day, then you've won. So how do I make a guest irregular? I say their name a few times. I get to know them. I introduce myself. Now we're friends. Yeah. Right. So I, we're friends. I, I want to try so, something because you said it's important. One of the things you mentioned that it's important for not just to have a mission, but to make sure everybody on your team when put on the spot can say, this is what our mission is. This is why we're here. We're all pulling in the same direction. Uh, so Jared's lurking in the background right now. He does, he does my copywriting. He does my editing. Uh, he does my, my planning where we're working on launching a YouTube channel. Jared, I'm going to ask you, man, I'm going to make you unmute your, your mic. And if you, if you're away from the computer right now, we'll just edit this out. But if you are there, I'm going to ask you, what's the mission statement of restaurant unstoppable? Yeah. Oh man. Do you in- you know it? To inspire, empower, and transform the restaurant industry. Yeah, he got it. So I, I'm hoping, yes. I was kind of wondering if we could get a little selfish here, Greg. Uh, I think we could probably do better with the mission statement. But putting that mission statement through your filter of it, does it, uh, and well done, by the way, Jared, uh, does it evoke emotion? Uh, is it heartfelt? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, what are the other filters you put out? Can it be echoed? Mm-hmm. We, we checked that box by yeah. our team. What else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, you checked all those boxes for sure. So, for how sure. can I make that better? Because I feel like I, I feel like it could be better. So, inspire, empower, and transform the industry. That's my core focus. That's what we try to do. But when I say transform, do you think that that evokes enough emotion? You know, I think the word transform sometimes is is used a lot in a lot of you know different things, and I think you know it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, it 
it probably opens up another question, like in what way? How am yeah. I transforming? It's a great question. And I think one of the reasons you know? why I've, I've left it vague is because I'm constantly learning and in, in evolving and getting perspective of what that transformation should look like. Like sure. when, I, when I first started Restaurant Unstoppable, when I said I want to inspire and empower, when I, when I wanted to transform the, the industry then, when I was, you know, still a little naive about what it took to be successful in the industry, to me that meant more independent uh, slow food operations that existed to, to do food right, to put to mm-hmm. put values first, to to not make it about profitability and about value and about uh, feeding as much food as possible to as many people as possible, but to to do food right with right. with with soul. That's what it meant to me. Mm-hmm. That being said, I've learned that not every huge franchise and corporation is evil, and that some of these companies do a lot of good in it's a matter of like finding balance, but I'm constantly learning and evolving what transformation means. So mm. I think that's why I keep it vague, but is that yeah. bad? I mean, I think it's completely valid because it, it's look at it, it, it evoked a conversation here, right? Mm. You know, it makes you think a little bit, makes you kind of, um, you know, kind of wonder, well, what does that mean for me exactly? You know, mm-hmm. um, there's it, it, restaurant industry is so dynamic, right? And, and there's so many different facets to it. Like you mentioned, there's franchises, there's, you know, there's, there's quick serve, there's fine dining, there's bars, you know, it's like, you know, so transformation is, is different for everybody. Yeah. You so know? for me, as I've evolved, I feel like today transformation means what can we do to build a more sustainable industry, not just sustainable, like a holistic sustainable industry, sustainable in the sense better for the earth and also better for each other and yes. our, our lives sustainable. Uh, what does that look like? And that's kind of what's driving me right now is like, what, what can we do to, to make this industry more holistically sustainable for everything that it touches? That's kind of, and if, I think we, if we can do that, I think we can transform the world because this industry is huge and we influence so many people and food literally has so much like, like literally influences, not just in like the intangible way, but in the, the tangible way, like industries revolve around the food system, you know? Yep. So, yep. It's powerful. Understood. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Sorry. That was a little bit of a tangent. It got a little selfish there. I apologize. No, it's good. It's good. It's all good. <laughs> but, um, so in this idea of, um, evoking emotion in heartfelt and how do we do that? How do you make a mission that, that evokes emotion? Well, I mean, the emotion side of it really, again, to me comes sort of from making that connection, you know, um, look, we, in the, in the, it's funny, Jeff, I go back to Jeff Fenster. One of the things he said to me early on, I've really stuck was, He's like, we're not in the restaurant business. We're in the entertainment business. <laughs> we just happen to serve food. So you never got <laughs> you know? out of the entertainment business. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. I love that. You know, I mean, and, and that to me is so true. I mean, we, restaurants are, are more than just creating the sensory experience of the, what the food has to offer. It's all of your senses are engaged, yeah. you know, and when you're engaging all of those senses and you're really you know, as a restaurateur and you're really taking into consideration what the experience is delivered to the guest on all those levels, there's no way that you can't evoke some kind of an emotional response from those sensory touch points, yeah. you know, yeah. um, whether it's the music you play, the smells, the sights, the, you know, um, you know, uh, the, of course the flavors of the food, all of those things evoke emotional response. And we are, we are in a unique position 
you know, like we're not running hospitals here. People don't come to us sick and dying, right? <laughs> or, or, in, or broken up, right? They're coming to us to celebrate. They're coming to us to, um, to convene and come together in certain ways, whether it be a business meeting or a wedding or even to grieve, you know? There's so many different ways people come to our spaces and reasons they come to our spaces, but it's usually to come together in some way and to connect in some way. And if we're not cluing into that and really focusing on that as the business owners and training that and, and leveraging that and really trying to elevate that experience for our guests in some way, we're missing something. We're yeah. missing that opportunity. Yeah. And if you want to inject integrity back into the industry and to paint a picture of what this industry is all about, I think doing a deep dive into the history of taverns and bars and really the, the role they played in going back 200, 300 years ago of like community centers and literally bringing people together, not just being where you went to go eat, but where you went to get your news, where you went to talk about politics, where you went to, it was literally like the bar, the restaurant, the tavern was the internet 200 years ago. It's where we went to be entertained. It's where we went to do all those things. And we literally were at the forefront of what was happening in communities that happened in our restaurants. We, we changed communities, you know, and I think we've gotten away from that. It's, it doesn't hold the same weight it used to, but it can. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I will argue that it it's, it's happening now, whether or not we I agree. tend to agree, you know, to, to notice it. Um, but as the business owner, if we're noticing it, then we can leverage the power of that. Right. And we can improve on those experiences and take a very proactive approach to it. And by the way, that transforms into profitability. Yeah. Um, before we get into guest recovery, which is the second bullet, you said you, you wanted to dive deep into a big part of making sure that these mission statements are, are impactful is that they are echoed. So what is the trick to getting our team to know the mission statement, to, to live the mission statement and to echo it every day? Well, that's a good point, right? So it starts with educating them on what the mission statement is. Um, every time I have a group team meeting at my restaurants, the first thing we talk about is the mission. It's it. They sometimes feel like I'm beating them over the head with it. <laughs> but I ask them pointedly, what's our mission? And how do you deliver on that today? What are you going to do today to make every guest a regular? Um, you know, what are you going to do today to make friends with somebody? Um, and we just keep that conversation going. And then we use every training opportunity at our disposal. If someone on our team is not performing in that direction, if they're doing something that's contrary to what that mission is, we bring them in, we call them, we talk to them and we say, Hey, look, we need to coach you on why this is not the right direction to go and why this is the direction we need to go because it's aligned with our mission. And you're out of you're you're out of step here. We gotta gotta we gotta get back in line here and and all be marching in the same direction together. Yeah. I like to reference Mario Del Perro. I'm sure that name probably is familiar. Being a West Coaster from uh, Mendocino Farms, he, the, the founder of Mendocino Farms, talking about culture, he said every culture. If you're thinking of culture as um, like world culture, whether it's it's Egyptian culture or Chinese culture or Australian culture or Italian culture, every culture has a language and rituals, right? And you talk about, you mentioned the importance of, of language in your book and how we need to be very intentional with our language, but also rituals. And what you're describing right now is a ritual. At the, a ritual is something that repeats 
daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, beginning of every shift, there's a ritual that brings the language of this is who we are, this is what we do, the words we use. That's culture. That's the shit you live every day. That's culture. It's not what you put on the wall. It's not what you say you are. It's what you do and echo every day. Absolutely. And that's why I entitled that chapter of the book, Living the Mission, because it's not, if you, you can put it on the wall and on every piece of paper you want, if you're not taking action on it, then it's, it's, it's as useless as the paper it's written on. Yeah. Awesome stuff. I think we can, we can wrap up mission now, but why was guest recovery the, the second thing you said we had to bring to today's conversation? Yeah. So this is another area. So it's funny, the, the word um, Yelp comes to mind. <laughs> Everybody I, don't, just, everybody I wonder cringed. how many people just cringed <laughs> yeah. when I said that. I did. I did too, a little, I'll yeah. be honest. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. We live in this time where it's like, you know, okay, restaurateurs used to have secret shoppers come in and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if whatever feedback was resigned to somebody that called you or, you know, sent you an email maybe or whatever. Um, but now we've got this platform and these platforms where voices can be amplified, right? And it, it's, um, it's, it's very powerful. Um, and it's also um, very, it, it's, it's something that I think people, as we had said, you know, you kind of cringe when you hear that word. It's easy just to kind of put our head in the sand and pretend that's not, that it doesn't exist. Cause I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with somebody telling me they had a bad experience or, oh, they're just bitching on there anyway. And blah, blah, blah. And, and some of that is true. I mean, I will say that, you know, some, some people just would rather not be confrontational in some way, or maybe they just had a bad day and they're taking it out on you on Yelp. That does happen. Um, and it happens fairly often, but that said, um, there are, there's also some truth in there that we need to look at as a business owner. If someone had a poor experience, whether they put it on Yelp, whether they emailed us, whether it's just a look on their face as you're walking by, or you ask them, how's everything going today? And they go, it's good. You know, (laughs) do you dive deeper or do you just go, okay, cool. Thanks. And walk away and hope for the best. Right. Well, I can say that, you know, some of the best guests over the years that I've had in my restaurant, some of those most loyal, some of the ones that have been, you know, the the biggest ambassadors of our brand have come to us through a negative experience. And we were able to connect with that person and recover them and let them know, Hey, you know what? We messed up. We're really sorry. You know, this was a special occasion for you and we just didn't get it right. But guess what? I'm here to, and and willing to make it right. And I want to do whatever I can to make sure, you know, that's not our typical behavior. That's not how it usually goes for us. If you give us another shot, we're going to show you what we're capable of. Yeah, I, and, it, and that can be very powerful. Mm, you know, I think you use a, a, a you something you met, you mentioned something in the book like you measure hospitality by the level of. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I mean, it's a, it's one line from a book, so I wouldn't expect you to know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, it, it well, it, it it could be something to the degree of um, you know how much we care about the experience that's happening, whether it's positive or negative, you well, know, there's a quote um, that I use and it reminded me of a quote that I use the quote I use. Maybe mm-hmm. if I use my quote, it will spark what you wrote in the book is that you measure hospitality. Your level of hospitality is, is, is a equivalent 
or proportionate, I think is the word that you use in the book, to what I say is the level of inconvenience you have to go through to make that thing happen. If you have to be super inconvenienced to do something, the chances are that is going to be received more on the other side of as being something that's generous. Like you're you're yep. you're as the the giver of hospitality are being inconvenienced by that. That shows how generous you're being to do this thing for me. So look at inconveniences whenever you're working and you're like, Oh, this is going to be a pain in the ass. Good. Yes. The obstacle is the way do the thing. That's going to be a pain in the ass because that inconvenience is going to be directly proportionate to your level of hospitality. Agreed. Agreed. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, and it goes along the lines with thinking outside the box and breaking the rules. Some other things I talk about in there, you know, it's like, you know, just, just, you know, the little something extras and little extra mile that we can go for people. And that includes recovering a guest, you know, people look when something goes wrong, people really most often just want to be heard, you know, and the people that really care will reach out to you. They're going to say, Hey, you know, my wife and I came in for our anniversary and we usually like it there, but this is what happened. It's they're doing that because they care because they want that to be a place for them to celebrate their special occasions. And if you ignore that opportunity, you might as well just be like, Thanks, man, but I don't care, (laughs) you know, and as soon as you do that, it's game over. And now that person that could have been a loyal follower and a someone who is an actual ambassador for your brand is now out there bashing you because, oh, my God, I can't believe how they treated us. Yeah. And that is also very powerful and the negative for, for our restaurants. Denny Meyer in his book, setting the table calls us writing the end of the story. No, I mean the story, there's always a storyline. There can be twists and turns throughout the story, but you get to write the end of the story. Things can go bad in the storyline, but don't that, that that's not the end of the story. Don't let that be the end of the story. Rewrite the story as you go to make sure it ends good. Is what yep. I think about it. Uh, I had Absolutely. another thought too. Oh, um, I also really liked how you talk about being proactive when it comes to guest recovery. And it reminded me of a lesson I learned from aviation where they teach you to be ahead of the airplane. So as you're flying, cause I was, I went to school, I became a commercial pilot pilot. As you're flying, you're never sitting, you're never in the moment as a commercial pilot. You're always ahead of the moment. Cause in an airplane, you can't pull over on the side of the, the road and, and pause and take care of something. And like you're, <laughs> flying a 200 300 400 miles an hour you got to be ahead of the airplane i think that mentality is so important in in hospitality so as i say that what's going through your head of what that means to be ahead of the airplane to be ahead of the service what does that mean for you yeah no that's great i mean what the first thing that comes to mind is anticipating guest needs yes um you know and you know it's interesting um how powerful that can be you know, because again, what it does is it shows that you're focused on that person's experience and that you truly care about their experience. Yeah. You're there for them. When people come into a restaurant, especially like, okay, well, whether it's fine dining or not really, um, but especially in fine dining, they want to come and relax. They don't want to have to, they're not there to cook or to manage things, right? They want to know things are taken care of. They're getting weighted on hand and foot, right? And honestly, and by the way, any any restaurant that I serve, whether it's quick serve or otherwise, I, I see it through a fine dining lens um, because it's that level of experience we want to try to deliver to people. Um, and so, you know, when we're anticipating the need and really there with that level of care, it lets people relax. It lets them sit sit back and really take in the experience and not feel like they, I might have to get up to grab a fork, <laughs> you know, or find my busser or whatever it is that they got to do. 
they don't have to do that. You have just given them a gift, a yeah. gift of freedom, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and you've shown that you really, really care. Um, yeah. it, that's how it's translated to a guest experience. But you know, it, it's like, yeah, it, I feel like it rings true to this moment talking about guest recovery. Cause when, when things go wrong, we can, we, we have foresight. We can get ahead of it. Like, Oh, that is a mistake. I need to, I, I don't need to wait for the reaction of the guest knowing that there's a mistake coming. I need, I can get ahead of it before it, it starts to snowball. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Don't, like, let's say yeah. you've got a long ticket time, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, kitchen's backed up and, you you're you're starting to if you're starting to wonder a little bit like if this is a problem it's very likely the guest is already wondering so Don't that's wait a good to time to go down. to the table yeah, yeah like, good good time to go to the table and say hey guys listen you know I'm really you know kitchen's just a little are you guys okay can I bring you a little soup or something while you're waiting or whatever it is you know just touching base now boom they're at ease they know what's going on they understand what's happening you're caring for them problem solved, you know, yeah. um, in most cases, you know, so any other thoughts around the, the idea of guest recovery before we move over to the, the, the final bullet point you want to talk about today, uh, promotions that actually drive sales. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think just overarchingly with the guest recovery, I think it's just, it's paying attention to the feedback and looking for the feedback and inviting the feedback is so important. And it's not something that's comfortable. That's the thing that's that's the hard part for for a lot of restaurant owners. Um, it's just not comfortable, you know. Um, but you got to get comfortable in that place because there is gold there. There really is. There's opportunity there for us to really uh, give an amazing experience, even in the face of something that didn't go right. I love it. Awesome stuff. So promotions that actually drive sales and you end the book on this subject of promotions. It's not, and, and I love that you do that because you really, you build the foundation from the most important things and you kind of like build from there. Like what, and I think at the very end of what you should be doing when you're thinking about profitability and four walls marketing is promotions. I feel like that comes later because it's only after you're doing all the other stuff the stuff that's going to make people just want to come back because you're developing relationships, because you're giving an F, because you're going out of your way, you're anticipating needs, you care. That's all the, the stuff that you want to put all of your energy into on day one and then promotions come. So what are the promotions if, I mean, I think you mentioned what, like four or five different promotions at the back of the book? Yeah, um, I gave a few examples of things that I found that worked and, you know, that are, that are um, pretty fruitful. Um, you know, but I'm always, as far as promotions are concerned, I'm always thinking in terms of, okay, am I, am I just, am I giving them a deal or am I really doing something that's going to drive an experience? And look, sometimes giving a coupon is, is a good thing to do. You know, maybe it's, maybe the goal behind that is to, you know, if you have a little bit of a higher price point is to allow somebody to come try out your stuff at a less of an investment so that they can get turned on by the experience. Right. Um, so maybe sometimes, you know, offering a, a good deal is a good, good idea or doing like a mailer for, you know, a free something just to kind of get them in the door and get them to try your stuff. So one of the big um, lessons I've learned when it comes to offering something in exchange for offering a discount or whatever, should it, should it ever just be a discount or should it be a discount and an ask? Or should we just discount and not ask for anything? When I, when I say ask, I'm talking about contact information, whether it's a phone number or an email to build your list, where, where do you stand on that? Yeah. So I will, I will say that anytime that you can get that information, you should. Um, and because honestly, like 
you know, building a list and a database of people that, that you can then, um, you know, market to at a later date um, is, is crucial. Um, and whether that be an email list or a loyalty program or a text thing or whatever platform or platforms you're using, um, not, I would say not simply just likes on Facebook so much, but really actually something, some tangible way to contact someone, um, that, that I would highly recommend making a part of the process in any way that you can. Got it. So back to this idea of the different, the different promotions you like, I think you had six examples of promotions that you list in the book. Give us two of those six promotions. We still have about like 12 minutes left. I think we can get two promotions squeezed in before we wrap up. Well, okay. So one of, one of my favorite promotions that I've seen work really well um, in a lot of different concepts and a lot of different restaurants is, is a date night. Um, And the reason I like that is because it's an experience, right? It automatically in the promotion, it, 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 it sort of um, positions itself in the mind of the guest before you even arrive of what they're going to experience, you know? Um, And traditionally, you know, what I've seen us do is, you know, we'll offer like say two entrees and a bottle of wine uh, for a set price for two, you know? And sometimes people will bring groups of four or six or eight and like, you know, party it up, you know, (laughs) and they have a bunch of wine on the table, a bunch of entrees. Um, they'll often order an appetizer to start and a dessert at the end as well. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a sales driver, but it's an experience as well. Um, we've seen, um, results like, um, you know, a couple of the restaurants we tried this out started off on a, like say a Tuesday night with a hundred covers on average, um, double those covers, um, um, sometimes almost triple those covers on that particular night because of that promotion, and sustainably over time, it's not just like a one-off promotion. It's something you can kind of be known for and it will continue to grow and sustain itself um, as you go. So you can take a, say a Tuesday night and, and turn it into, you know, from a five or $10,000 night into a 10 or $20,000 night by running something like that. And it kind of differentiates you, makes you a go-to kind of place in the marketplace. So what is it about sense. this approach, uh, this, uh, this um, promotion that you think has traction? Why does this work? What is it about all these promotions that work, but like, what is the, the common theme? Is it value? What is it? Well, I think AES value is, is part of it. You know, you're going to get a good deal, right? I'm going to get a couple entrees and a bottle of wine for whatever price that is. Um, that's a good, it, you know, as long as you are pricing it fairly and it's it's less than you would normally charge it a la carte on your menu um, and you do it in, attractively in the marketplace that's right for your market, um, you'll get some notice for the value aspect. But moreover, it's it's the experience that I'm looking for, right? You know, who doesn't want to go to a, on a, on a date with somebody, right? Even two best friends, you know, I see girls do this all the time. Like, oh, it's my girlfriend. We're on a date. Ha ha ha. You know, whatever. And they're having a good time. Um, but date night is, is why, great. Why does that have to be two know? girls? I'll take my boy for a date. Why not? Dude, whatever, man. It's all good. You want to, you want to go? I'll go with you. Dude, as long as there's <laughs> a be bottle of wine involved, let's, you can be my date, Greg. Let's do I'm I'm in, bro. I'm in. Uh, so, oh, man. So, and- so, yeah. So, you know, so it, to me, it's just, it, it, it's just, it's one of those promotions and, and it's just one of many, but it's, it's one of those promotions that it's, it's, it's an experiential driver, if that makes sense. Got it. Uh, what's the second example that you want to use from the book out of these six examples you share? 
Um, yeah. Okay. So I think that um, I think one of them I might have mentioned was um, having to do with. Um, I have one locked know, and loaded like a, that I want to talk about. I can. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. Go for All it. Right. So the one that I think is great, and and I think you say that you, you want to see more of this in the industry too is collaboration is partnerships. And I think what you, the example you use of the Lexus dealer um, and how you partnered with the Lexus dealer, get into it. Yeah. The collaborations thing I think is, is, is big. Um, You know, it's funny because I think sometimes restaurant owners have this mentality of, okay, I've built this great space. I've put all this decor and I've got I've created this great experience. When people come, they're going to experience and when they get into, into the four walls. Um, but we forget sometimes that it's, 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 we have to drive people there, right? <laughs> you know, we got to get people in the four walls, to, you know, I think it's almost sometimes this mentality I've built it so they will come, you know? Um, and so what we really need to look at our promotions to do is, okay, how am I going to get those butts and seats? How am I going to get people in the door to try us for the first time? And sometimes leveraging uh, partnerships and collaborations is a good way to go. Um, and sometimes thinking outside of the box in terms of what a strategic partnership could look like for a restaurant is, is important. You know, if you have a healthy food concept, maybe partnering with gyms is a good idea you know, and accessing their database of all the people they have in their community and learning how to serve them in some collaborative way. Um, You know, whether it be through post, you know, pushing specials directly to their community through a social channel or whether it be something else. And like in the case of the Lexus dealership, you know, this particular restaurant um, was positioned um, in that vicinity. So it was a natural type of partnership um, and they they shared a lot of the same um, sort of demographic clientele, right? And so it was like a high end fine dining restaurant. You had the Lexus, you know, typical Lexus buyer, um, you know, has a certain degree of disposable income, all that kind of stuff. So you look at this and you go, okay, well, how can we partner in in some way? And so you know, Lexus, it's it, it was a win win for them to say, well, instead of giving these guys a loaner car to go drive, um, you know, home, why don't we give them a little coupon to go to have lunch at your restaurant. <laughs> and that's a value add for them because it's a totally different experience for the Lexus person that's getting their car service to go have lunch at a nice restaurant instead of just driving off the lot. And now they stay in the vicinity um, and it's a good partnership, you know? Yeah. Um, and so you're kind of be able to kind of cross cross promote in a way. So was this the, the con restaurant where you're the, you were the GM of the Lexus, the Lexus dealership or the above the Lexus dealership? Was that the relationship you're referencing? That is correct. Yeah, okay, that is cool. correct. I was so, curious if that was a tie there. Cause I noticed that for, I remembered from the book, but I mean, think about this. I, I think what, when, when thinking about partnerships, when thinking about doing collaborations, you, you really got to think about, is this a win-win? Cause you don't want to be the only one winning from that. Like, Oh, like, Hey, I'm going to go to this, this organization. And every time there's a new customer, they send them my way. Well, how is the other person winning from that? But in the example of the dealership, you think about what the dealer is trying to do. Like how to deal, how to do car salesmen make money today? Repeat right. customers, right? So you're doing everything Absolutely. you can to create a good experience for that, that customer. I think if somebody buys a car from you and you buy them dinner at a really great restaurant. That's a awesome way to pop off a, a long lasting relationship. So that's hundred percent. That's value add for that, that car salesperson. So, I mean, that's how you got to be thinking about it. And it's a win for you because 
I mean, when people move to a new city or a new area, one of the things they have to do is get a new car, right? So now you're opening yourself up to new people. So start thinking about maybe it's if, if it's somebody who buys a house. This is something that everybody could do. Go to your, your local realtors and say, if somebody buys a house, let's buy them dinner. I was just going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, that it's it's a it's a you know real estate agent just closed a deal on a house. You give them a hundred dollar gift certificate to your to this restaurant. Super value add for the for the real estate agent. You know because you're right. They, you've just taken care of them. My wife used to do that as a, she was a massage therapist, and she would um, she would get re, uh, real estate agents to give their new home client a in home massage in their new house. Right. And they would buy gift certificates from her all the time to get them massage. And she would pick up clients from, you know, from, you know, massaging them in their brand new home, giving them an amazing experience. And now they're a regular client. It's a win win. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was a good deal. Greg, I've loved today's conversation. We got to leave time to make sure we have a call to action. Uh, So if we've enjoyed today's conversation and we are really interested in picking up your book, butts in seats, how to create raving fans who come back again and again, where is the best place to go to get this thing? Uh, Amazon baby. Um, just Google it on Amazon. It's right there. Um, more than welcome to, uh, you know, to grab a copy there. Um, and if, if there's any ever a time, um, anybody listening here wants to just have a quick conversation with me, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, more than happy to, to, to talk shop with you, give some, give some direction, even have a, a free um, one hour strategy session on whatever it is that you're looking to improve. No obligation, no sales pitch, just me saying, Hey, I'm happy to give an hour of my time, um, you know, for you to, uh, to explore some, some specific needs in your restaurant. And uh, you know, if you like that and you want to work together, that's cool. But otherwise no big deal, you know, more than happy to help. I just, I really am interested in helping people improve their operations. And if there's anything I can possibly do to help do that, whether it's through the book um, or just a quick conversation. I'm, I'm happy to give that time to do it. Yeah, man. And I would love to get you into the network and maybe we can schedule something in the future where you do a Q and a, or maybe we dive into a, a chapter. Um, and if you guys, maybe we can do something like a book giveaway too. If you guys want to join us live, we can give away a few books, the first five or 10 people or whatever. Absolutely. Sign Absolutely. copy from the man himself, Greg Provence. Uh, I'm happy to collaborate with you further because I really want to support the work you're doing, man. I, 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 I I enjoyed this book and I appreciate the message you're sending. So awesome. Thanks. Stuff. I appreciate what you're doing too, man. I love thank this. You, this man. is, thank you know, I'm a, I've always, I've been a fan of restaurant unstoppable for a while and well, uh, you, you so know, much. what you're doing is amazing work too. So it's, it's good. Win uh, win. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Did you, did you let us know how we can contact you? Did you have, do you give your email or what's the best way? Yeah. So um, you can contact me directly through my website, gphospitalitypartners.com. Um, hit me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, send me a message to there and connect. Love to connect with, uh, with anybody that's in- interested. Awesome. And uh, the last thing we have to do before we officially say goodbye is who do you respect and admire in the industry? I already had Jeff Fenster on the show, so you, you can't get, <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to get him back on the show. Honestly, he was such a great guest, but who do you respect and admire? And if, if they were a guest on this show, you know, they would just leave a ton of value for our listeners. Well, I mean, I think, and I've mentioned her in the book, Chef Deborah Scott is uh, somebody who I would definitely recommend. Um, she's an amazing chef and a really great restaurateur and has a sincere heart for hospitality. Um, we've, uh, we've worked together and become friends over the years, and she's somebody I highly respect, and I think she'd have a lot to offer. So I'm calling her out. 
Beautiful. Chef Deborah Scott, I'd love to get you on the show. Is she in San Diego? She is in San Diego, I gotta, yeah. I got to get out there again. When I'm out there, I'd love to get you on the show. And I got to say, Greg, thank you so much, my man. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Greg Provence, for killing it on the mic. And I got to be honest, when I was going into this interview, when I first started to read this book, I did not realize that Greg was also a successful restaurateur. So we got a little extra storytelling out of today's episode. I was pleased about that. And really, you, you hear me saying it all the time. The best social platform is your, your dining room floor is within the four walls of your business. There's no sense in going out there and sharing with the world how great you are and trying to, to generate and uh, recruit business. If you're not great, don't put your energy into saying how great you are. Put it into being great. It's not about what you say you are. It's about what you do every day. And this book is going to give you some great guidance on how to do the basic things really well and i just really enjoyed the read i recommend it again it's butts in seats how to create raving fans who how to create raving fans who come back again and again if you guys are interested in connecting with greg uh let me know i will Host a Q&A. Uh, you guys can connect with him, ask your questions. That's something uh, I'm here to do, but I want to make sure you guys need it. So let me know. and I'm happy to put that together for you. And hopefully this is the last of our remote interviews. I think I have one more remote interview scheduled. And after that, I want to go to 100% on-site, in-person interviews. And it's not going to be easy, guys. I'm kind of shitting pickles a little bit because that means almost twice as much work for me because one episode a week was remote. And I, I, I'm i going to really have to double down and travel one week out of the month every month to be able to keep up with eight episodes a week. And here's what you can do to help. You can support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. You can share this episode with everybody and anyone you know. And here's a really big one, guys, because we're really trying to grow our YouTube channel. Head over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable. Watch all these videos. See the faces behind the voices. And we're going to be giving you guys behind the scenes how to videos and just I'm looking forward to it. Um, Subscribe. Thank you in advance. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.